Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel, and I'm Emma. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we discuss the economy and how it comes into the Tory leadership race. And you ask us, is Labour's plan to ditch nationalising utilities a threat to the net zero agenda? So last time we spoke about the Tory leadership election, it was with Andrew Marr a couple of episodes ago, and he was saying that each candidate represents a very different vision for the future of the economy. But now it looks like Rishi Sunak is scrabbling to change that. He is trying to burnish his tax-cutting credentials, saying he'd cut VAT on energy bills. That's something he actually refused to do as Chancellor. And his latest announcement that we've just been reading about this morning is to stick to cutting income tax by 1% from 2024, which he'd already pledged to do as Chancellor, but then go further by cutting it by 3p more. So this is basically from 20p to 16p by the end of the next parliament, which could be as early as 2028 or as late as 2030. So we don't really know quite what the timeline is. But the politics are quite telling, aren't they, Rachel? The postal votes are going out Tory members today, I think. So he's running out of time if he wants to try and steal a march on trust. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And it feels like the every time Sunak comes out and says Rishi Sunak comes out and says here's another tax cut. It feels like he's going further on towards Liz Truss's um, platform, which is immediate tax cuts. And he can't outbid her on that. So every time he does it, he just seems to lose more credibility. He seems to, I don't know who's advising him, but I think it would have been, I think think he would have been much better at setting out his offer if he had just stuck to the steady as she goes. Liz Truss's plan is is crazy and fairytale economics, as he calls it. Yeah. And so how is he justifying this, Emma? I mean, you're sort of our economics, our resident economics expert here. What is he actually pitching and how is it a shift from his original theme? And how close is it to what the business desk at the New Statesman has been labelling Trussonomics? (laughs) It's closer. Certainly. And trustonomics seems to have been adopted elsewhere. And I want to take credit for that. Actually, Will should take credit for that. So he, he, as you say, or as Rachel just said, he has been going for this kind of slow and steady wins the race. He's called Truss's plans for loads of tax cuts that are semi-funded fairy tale economics. He was, he said, I will offer a tax cut, but I'm first of all, I need to sort out inflation and I need to sort out the economy. But now he said he wants to offer a 20% tax cut by the end of the decade by cutting the basic rate of income tax to 16p by the end of the next parliament. In comparison to Liz Truss's tax cuts, it's kind of a drop in the ocean. So they reckon it'll cost about £6 billion a year which seems like a lot, but then Truss's tax cuts will cost 
34 billion pounds mm. so it's a big it's a big difference but it's still you can definitely tell that he's panicking Mm. And I suppose the distinction that they'd make, especially in terms of the VAT on energy bills cut, is that's a sort of one-off thing that is just to help people through and then they bring it back again, whereas Truss's tax cuts will be baked in. And so that's something that's harder to fund in the long term. I mean, it sounds quite disingenuous, doesn't it? Because usually if you're going to if you're going to cut taxes, it's quite hard then to put them back up again. It's almost like that mm. universal credit cut that he did introduce during the pandemic. He did actually manage to, to put that back on again, but at great political pain. So is there really a distinction there? Is that really a fair distinction for Sunak's team to make? Yeah, I don't know. I've got a real bee in my bonnet about one-off payments because I just, you can do a one-off payment. So there's a lot of, this changing subject, but there's a lot of companies offering one-off payments to their staff, Mm. a one-off cut to VAT on energy bills. It ignores the fact that inflation is baked in. We were talking a couple of years ago or maybe a year ago about transient inflation, the fact that it was here today, gone tomorrow. It was just because of the pandemic. It's completely apparent now that's not the case. So offering a one-off cut like that it's not going to help anyone it might help people now it's not helping them tomorrow and it's not helping them next year and the contention is that his so his vision would lead to recession this is from each of the campaign's critics whereas trust is to spiraling inflation and then interest rates going up neither of those prospects sounds particularly attractive but is there one that's worse than the other and also are those criticisms fair emma okay so there's a bit of crystal ball gazing here right But if we look at what government debt is at the moment, it's about 96.1% of GDP. So that's up from about 85% in 2019. And the reason that is, is because of things that Rishi Sunak did, borrowing for the furlough scheme, like an awful lot of borrowing. Mm. At the moment, the Office for Budget Responsibility is projecting that if we stick with our current level of spending, that will take our debt to GDP ratio up to 320% of GDP in 50 years time. So borrowing more, at the moment, after we borrowed an awful lot, is not a great idea. Sometimes you have to you have to bring economies into recessions. All a recession is a contraction in growth. It's not it's uncomfortable for all of us. But you've got to, a lot of economists view it as you've got to give a kind of short shock. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe I'm unusual, but I think a bit of prudence, probably after a huge amount of spending that was necessary during the pandemic is needed right now. I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with me. Well, um, well, I'm glad that you said that, actually, not necessarily because I agree with you, but because it takes me into (laughs) my next question for Rachel, because you were writing a morning call this morning, our morning newsletter, which all of our listeners should subscribe to, that both candidates are now prepared to deride this, what they describe as the failed treasury orthodoxy. And I think what Emma was just saying there about sort of prudence and trying not to get the country further into debt is part of that that mindset, isn't it? We should try and balance the books. We should try and live within our means, in inverted commas. Yes, and I think it's an acknowledgement from them both that they have no real plan for growth at the moment and we haven't had growth for years and years. I think what's also interesting about what Emma was saying there is about the current level of public spending and I think um, what Sunak perhaps would have been better sticking to is pointing out again and again that his national insurance rise is actually aimed at supporting the NHS at this time. Yeah. And I'm surprised that Liz Trust has faced so few questions on just how she's going to fund the NHS given the state that it's in. And is it, we're probably going to need more spending on the NHS, not less, <laughs> going forward, given like the huge backlogs that there are. And I'm surprised she's not been under more pressure over that, really. So am I, because she has said, and mm. I think this was in the Times, actually, that her or someone from her campaign said that she will not return to austerity. She doesn't want to return to that 
austerity agenda, which kind of means no. It feels, it feels like pure kirkism. Yeah. So, what, I mean, I really wish that people would ask her, not because I want to know what she would cut, really, but because that sounds like a terrifying future. But if you're going to, if you're going to tax to this extent, how are you going to fund it? I'd rather she had to be forced into saying, I would just borrow it all. Hmm. And then explain what her plan is. I know Emma was suggesting that there should yeah. be a bit more prudence bit built into this plan. But and or what are you going to cut to pay for that? Because at the moment, no one's. I, I've noticed a lack of. <laughs> I don't know whether it's fair to say that there's been a bit, a bit of a lack of accountability. Perhaps it's on yeah. the part of our uh, noble trade. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. But I think there's been acceptance from some journalists that they're not talking to the wider electorate at this time. They're mm. talking to a very specific mm. group of Conservative Party members. I'm also surprised, although not surprised at all, that there's just no discussion of Brexit at yeah. all. And I think this is one of the things that Keir Starmer's done a bit better. And he's, had, he's put forward this five-point plan to make Brexit work, to talk about how you bring down trading barriers but there's just no discussion of at all of that in the leadership contest it's almost like an area they can't touch at all it's like this white elephant in the room even though it's what hitting the economy twice as hard as covid did it's, it's i can't understand why that's not up for discussion considering the, the huge impact it's having on the economy yes yeah because it's not irrelevant <laughs> these conversations about growth and the economic recovery after covid as well i think northern ireland is the only part of the united kingdom that is doing better post covid than the rest of the country mm. massively yeah it's just it's i think Liz has had Liz, my mate Liz, has had a couple of goes at mentioning Brexit. So she's got her free ports plan, full mm. fat free ports, which means which would ease trade. But I but don't didn't think the particularly last, seriously, are they? Well, the last I think the last budget set out that free ports are having no net benefit to the overall economy at all, and they're not <laughs> and they're not predicted to. So <laughs> it's like just there's just a lack of realism in the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. The thing is. Could it be that they both think that the people who are now voting, as Noosh pointed out, yeah. are tired of talking about Brexit and how they're making it work? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> there is that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I suppose it's what's interesting is that Brexit used to be a theme that Keir Starmer and the Labour Party were petrified of talking about because of the mm. missteps that they made in the last election, which was a significant contribution to their defeat. But now it seems like Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss in the election with probably the most Eurosceptic selectorate that you could possibly cobble together. They don't really want to talk about it and that's probably because it's not going quite to plan and they probably don't want to be the ones to point that out even though Sunak is trying to cast himself as the one who's delivering hard truths and saying we've got yeah we've got to make trade-offs and trying to sound like the adult in the room but he's not touching it either. It's interesting that kind of Truss who was the remainer in the contest has set out a big tax cutting Thatcherite agenda and that, that I've always thought that Brexit was kind of code for a Thatcherite agenda, really. Mm. The Singapore on Thames of direction that some Conservatives would prefer to take the country in. It's interesting that she's doing well out of it at the moment, whereas Sunak's almost like the remainer in the contest. He's like talking about tax rises and sticking to the current orthodoxy almost in a in like the current consensus in a way and I think that even though he actually voted leave and yeah. campaigned and it was leave. interesting what you yeah even though he was mm. actually <laughs> actually the Brexiteer in the contest I think it's interesting that you've mentioned that if trust is forced into tax rises at a later, a later date that how that would work out for her I just wonder if all the Brexiteers and all the people on the right who've got behind her currently would then just potentially burn through another leader because it's such a huge risk for her this economic plan because if she does have to change course the people who've 
delivered the leadership for her because I think everyone would kind of agree she's very likely to win at this point. The people mm. who will have delivered that victory for her could just as easily turn on her if her plan mm. doesn't work. It's such a huge risk. And it would be easier for them to feel betrayed because yeah. she was never a true, or originally she wasn't one of their true champions. Yeah. And they lent that support to her in a weird way because it was sort of Kemi Badnock and Suella Braverman who were the sort of yeah. the ones who uh, perhaps were more appealing to the ERG originally in the contest. And then what's interesting is that Sunak and Truss in both of their own ways are trying to suggest that they're a departure from Treasury orthodoxy. But at the same time, you have Starmer talking about a magic money tree, which is kind of Cameron Osborne speak. Yeah. Why is he doing that? You've written about this before, Rachel. Yeah, I think it's I think it's more about just trying to neutralise this attack, which has been absolutely devastating for Labour at the last couple of election, elections, this, that the Labour Party is not responsible on the economy, that they can't be trusted to manage the country's finances. And that's often has come in the term of Labour's got a magic money tree where they're going to pay for all this. So I think the logic in using that term to attack the Conservatives at this time while they're in the middle of a bidding war is to just try and disown it a little bit and try and move away from it and try and get it to stick on the Conservatives at this time, whether that'll work or whether it just ends up them extending extending this t- attack ultimately on, on yeah. the Labour Party remains to be seen. But you can understand why they want to have a go at achieving that. Yeah, I suppose it's a risk because if you parrot the framing of your opponents, you're yeah. often the victim of that ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's worked for the Conservatives time before when they've tried to turn one of their attacks on, on onto the Labour Party. So, yeah, we shall see. It's obviously working because Rishi Sunak this morning on the Today programme did this kind of weird hysterical laughter. Oh, my God. I thought that too. of sticking to... Yeah. <laughs> he sounded was, like he was um, going out of his... He sounded very frustrated this morning, just like yeah. at the end of his tether. He sounded <laughs> about to lose it. Yeah, I, think, I do think his coping mechanism in awkward situations is to smile and laugh, which is quite common. I don't know if any of you have had that scenario where yeah. you laugh at an inappropriate moment just because you don't know how to react. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed him doing that but during the debate as well. Yeah, it was just so manic this morning. It was him being a tr- accused of sticking to Treasury orthodoxy. I think that was the that was what prompted this kind of crazy sounding <laughs> laughter mm. that I just that creeped me out quite a lot to be honest yeah I don't yeah. think it comes across particularly natural I, I, and this is going off the topic and we do need to move on to the next bit but I do, mm. it's interesting that he was the one who was fated as the sort of the one who was easy in front of the cameras the better slicker media performer but I'm not sure if that's necessarily borne out as the contest has gone on absolutely not I think his inexperience has shown from the start and it's isn't it the easiest job in the world to be a chancellor and give out a load of money and I think that can that has led to him being sort of overrated a little bit as a media performer Mm. and I think Liz Truss is just Mm. long-term experience at just calmly (laughs) landing your attacks. I just don't think he knows how to deal with that. Yeah, I think he does look like that kind of reputation. It does look like that reputation it has as this being this like outstanding performer when the camera arrives. It's just, uh, it seems to have gone now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly during that second debate. Yeah. When he intervened constantly, it made him look like he just was not out of his depth, but like just made him look like he had he, did, he lacked that political experience to land his argument, which 
comes the second nature to someone who's been doing it as long as Liz Truss has. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just lastly, Emma, before we move on to our next section, what should mm. they both be focusing on? Martin Lewis has called for them and Boris Johnson to meet all together and come up with an action plan between them. For that 77% energy price cap rise in October, that's coming around the bend. It's the only thing that people that's going to be relevant to people's lives yeah. by that month. And uh, so he's saying it's just flaccid government, which is a lovely image uh, if they don't actually come up with an intervention <laughs> for this. But I don't think either of them are being particularly convincing because it's not just the fact that national insurance has gone up that mean people's that people's budgets are really squeezed. Yeah, and the cost of living crisis is what they should be focused on, of course. But is it hitting the people who are about to vote as hard as potentially other people? One thing I no. found really interesting was I was reading Kate Andrews in The Spectator was talking about trust versus Sunak and what they should be focusing on. And a point that she made is if you want to cut tax sustainably you have to slash the size of the state. But like neither of them have particularly mentioned that or mm. gone into that mm. in a huge way. And they, we talked a bit there about how they're trying to emulate Margaret Thatcher and they're vying to make their claim for who's the most Thatcherish. But um, one thing that Thatcher had that, that these guys don't have at all was, yes, she had a period of high inflation. Yes, she made massive cuts to the economy, but the way she got out of the resulting recession was by selling off industries, mm by selling off social housing, by deregulating banks. And Trust and Sunak don't have that. Yeah. So what can they do to cut costs? So that's, mm. that's something they really need to look into. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to the New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale. Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical, and quite, well, obvious. And Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search... Audio long reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
And now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask, Ask Us. Us. So this question is from Jensen Lamb. Sorry if I've pronounced your name wrong. Thanks for writing in. Does Rachel Reeves' statement that she does not believe in privatising utilities because it breaches her fiscal rules impact Labour's ability to address the drive to net zero and dealing with climate change? So this is a really interesting question because it does actually come off the back of Emma's last point about selling off the utilities. I suppose our questioner is referring to that sort of slight confusion recently where Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor, recently suggested Labour had ditched plans to take rail, water and energy back into public ownership. She was saying that it doesn't stack up against our fiscal rules. I think they had to row back a bit on the rail side of that, didn't yeah. they, by saying they'd be pragmatic about it. Well, yeah, what do they actually, what is Labour's actual line before we tackle this question, Rachel? I think they're, they're willing to stick with rail in some areas, if it, where it's already in public hands, this kind of thing. But I think they're concerned that bailing out shareholders to get to regain control of things like utilities is a much more difficult proposition, shall we say. Right, OK. Yeah. Spoken like a true shadow minister. Yeah, I think I think it's a good question because actually that one of their main pledges, people accuse them of not ha- having policies. I think they actually have... I think they've racked up about 400 policies now, if some certain calculations behind the scenes are to be believed. It's just that um, we, we only ever hear about them once and then don't restate them yeah, ever again. Yeah, they disappear. So they um, but no one currency. of them that they do always trot out, and, and something that actually Rachel Reeves did mention to me when mm. I interviewed her fairly recently, was that £28 billion a year climate investment pledge. So that's mm. capital mm. spending. So that's something that they are happy to borrow to invest. But from conversations that I've had with people in that policy area, they don't actually know quite how they're going to spend their money or what on yet. Mm. And we're getting quite close to conference season now where they're supposed to be unveiling their big policy agenda. So I think that's quite telling. And our question is about whether or not Rachel Reeves' disciplinarian sort of attitude to their economic proposals will affect that sort of transition to net zero and, and climate change policy. So is it worrying that she is taking this stance in terms of that vision that they're supposed to have for the Green New Deal? I think they probably want to link it to their answer to levelling up as well. So they want to make sure that when they talk about growth, they're able to talk about various different bits of, of the country and that like it, it's spread out and that it feels like an alternative. I think when Keir Starmer was talking about the party's pledges as well, he was talking about this industrial strategy council that would have st- statutory powers. And I think they're trying to send a signal of that they'd have long term aims that go beyond political parliaments. And that might be that might make it a more stable environment for investors. So I think they'll probably have some of their language in that direction but again I know that they're still up against it and there's still a lot of it to be ironed out so yeah. and yes it is getting quite close yeah, to conferences they, need, they you need to iron this stuff out before then because otherwise you'll get an almighty row mm. between the left and the sort of leadership over how radical that Green New Deal can be yeah. because I think if you read the sort of old or actually probably more accurately existing yes. Green New Deal plan it is pretty radical Corbyn, Corbyn, Corbynite style politics is all over that plan Yes, and I would expect that to cause a row at party <laughs> conferences and based on, well, Kirstam said he's wiping the policy slate clean, yeah. which you would assume would that would include all of the Green New Deal agenda. I know that there is still a lot of disagreement between shadow cabinet ministers over Ed Miliband, of course, as big champion of, of the environment and being being pro-green. So I think there's a lot, a lot of it to be ironed out. And yeah, they do look like, uh, yet again, that they'll be on a collision course because... There's not a lot of money around, and I think Rachel Reeves especially is especially not under Rachel Reeves. Especially vision. not under Rachel Reeves. Yeah. So yeah. what they end up signing up to will will not satisfy everybody. I think that's probably 
accepted by the Shadowfront bench. <laughs> that could be Labour's motto. <laughs> we don't satisfy everybody. <laughs> yeah. um, Emma, what do you make of this? Because this was Rachel's brilliant story, your, your scoop, when you interviewed Keir Starmer at our politics live event where he said he's wiping the slate clean on the manifesto and taking utilities into public ownership, which was a big Corbynite pitch, seems to be part of that. Mm. Emma, do you think that's... What, what do you make of that change in direction? Well, I was going to ask Rachel, actually. Do you, I don't know is the answer to that. I think that they've got such a big job on their hands trying to even work out who they're kind of aiming these policies at mm. right now. Policies so are, I, but they are quite popular, aren't they? When you actually no. poll individually for renationalisation of rail, it's quite a popular yeah. policy. Yeah. So I wrote about this recently and I found out that the total budget for to operate, maintain and renew the railway between 2019 and 2024, so that's over five years, was about, will be about £34 billion, which is the exact same amount as Liz Truss's tax cuts. It's so <laughs> kind of a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> My question is, how, should is it okay for them to be seen to be moving away from these net zero policies at the moment in the middle of a cost of living crisis? Or would that be a massive mistake? Who are they aiming these policies at? I think some of it's aimed businesses and making sure that when it comes to the election, they don't have, say, a business leader talking about how Labour can't be trusted on the economy. I think that's one of their biggest fears is that they, like they had at the last election, just numerous people mm. within industry feeling terrified of a Labour government because that would be devastating for their election chances but then there's the cost of living crisis and just how you deal with that to a way that's going to make people think this party provides some measure of hope about about my, my, my future livelihood and then you have the way Keir Starmer phrased it in his last speech was you can't have growth without net zero and you can't have net zero without growth. So I think just how they link those two in the next year, in the next run up to yeah. the election will, is going to be what everyone's watching really, because they're going to have to find a way that's credible yeah. of, of just linking those two policy ideals. Yes, and also linking the need for net zero with easing the cost of living crisis. So yeah. basically saying we're creating jobs for you, we're also going to be making energy cheaper by making more of it here in a more sustainable, renewable way. I think Ed Miliband's line, which apparently he was delivering at Glastonbury, I heard from someone, is uniting the people who care most about the end of the world with the people who are most preoccupied with the end of the week, which is quite a good little framing there. But I don't think they've quite successfully managed to do it. But that's because we don't know how much of their green agenda they're sticking to. Indeed, yeah. Um, yeah, they're, and they're keeping yeah. it all very under wraps at the moment. They're not giving anything away. I think the sort of strategy in the run-up to conference will very much be let the Conservatives fall apart and tear each other apart on trying to outbid each other on tax rises, uh, tax cuts rather, and just <laughs> point at that, say, do you want these guys running the country? And then perhaps when we get to party conference season, we might finally have some policy that would give us an idea of what kind of government they would want to run, really. Brilliant. OK, well, thanks so much, both of you. That was a great discussion. And Emma, hopefully we'll have you back on soon. Oh, yeah. Always here for it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues Rachel Wearmouth and Emma Hazlitt. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Please leave us a nice review and don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to send in a question, email one in to podcasts at newstatesman.co.uk.
Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.